Good morning. Our reading this morning continues in John's Gospel, chapter 12, beginning at verse 12, which you can find in page on page 1078 in the Bibles in front of you. John chapter 12, verse 12. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, as it is written. Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first his disciples did not understand this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realise that these things had been written about him and these things had been done to him. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip in turn told Jesus. Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honour the one who serves me. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. The crowd that was there and heard it said it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Jesus said, This voice was for your benefit, not mine. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. The crowd spoke up. We have heard from the law that the Messiah will remain forever. So how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? Then Jesus told them, You are going to have the light just a little while longer. Walk while you have the light before darkness overtakes you. Whoever walks in the dark does not know where they are going. Believe in the light while you have the light, so that you may become children 
of light. When he had finished speaking, Jesus left and hid from them. Good morning, everyone. Great to see you here. Let me just do a couple of uh, admin things before we start. Inside your bulletin, there is a treasurer's report. We have our AGM tomorrow, and I know we will not have as many people here tomorrow night as we have here this morning. Um, We struggle to get people to come, and that's typically a sign that there is health in the parish. Uh, I have a principle that there's an inverse proportional relationship between the number of people on Monday night at AGMs and the health of the parish. What that means is the less people that come, the happier the people are. Um, and I understand that, um, though you are encouraged to come along, but I've given you a short, easy edition of the finance report here. If you'd like to look at the detailed, I think it's about 25-page report, it's up the back, you're very welcome to take one away. Um, in short, we came within a couple of thousand dollars of meeting our budget. It was a deficit budget um, that was planned. Uh, it's because of the building program that's going on. Um, But that was uh, well achieved, and thank you for those who've been generous towards that in the past 12 months. This year's probably going to be our hardest year with all of the works happening for the whole year and the disruptions caused by that and loss of income streams as a result. And so if I can just encourage you to, if you're a member here, to give generously through the year. On that note, let me pray. If you've got any questions about it, please do come and see me afterwards. Heavenly Father, we thank you we can be here today. We thank you for the wonder of your word and I pray that we would see Jesus this day. In his name we pray, amen. Now, if I can just get the screen changed over, that would be great. Thank you very much. Now, I've just come back from holidays and I had a wonderful time away. I'm going to mention a few things about that a little bit later on. But I was a little bit upset though um, because some of my favourite passages got preached on when I wasn't here. And I just had to give them away to Scott and Nathan and others. And and let me say, they did a wonderful job. Um, But I was disappointed. Lazarus is one of my favourite stories in the Bible. And so I came to the preaching roster, and I'm down this week uh, after just coming back. And let me just say, John 12 wasn't the passage that kind of lit my heart up. Though I thought, you know, it's the Word of God, so of course it's going to lit my heart up at some level. But it wasn't in my top ten passages. But I want to say... This is an amazing passage that Rob has just read to us. Now, one of the things that you may not know is that there's a verse here which is inscribed in pulpits all around the world. Did you pick up what it was? Here is a picture. It's the word, sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. And if you don't preach in pulpits, which most of us don't, and I typically don't either, uh, you won't see this. But I have seen this in places I've spoken at. They will have these words inscribed in the pulpit for the preacher only to see. And they're there to remind the preacher about why they're there, which is not to share about their own life, and if I can say wax lyrical about their latest ideas, but rather the people have come because they want to hear something about God, and in particular about Jesus. And this is inscribed in pulpits all around the world. I'll show you a couple of the ones I found. Um, There's one. uh, There's another one. Sir, we would see Jesus. There's another one. Now, this is my favourite one that's coming up. I thought, you can be both a minister and an airline pilot at the same time. It's kind of like the uh, driver's panel there. Um, Now, in finding these pictures, what did strike me was, I don't think all preachers take this to heart because this preacher I'm going to show you, I think, thinks the story 
and Sunday is all about him as he comes in on the zip line. <laughs> I thought, that's not what we're on about, is it? <laughs> no, we're, we were here to see Jesus. And I want to start by asking a question, why did you come to church today? It's a good question to ask as you wake up in the morning, am I going to go to church? Yes. Why am I going? Now, I suspect we've got people coming for a whole range of reasons, and most of them are probably very good reasons. We'll have people who are coming today out of a sense of discipline. Uh, You always come to church because you're a Christian, and it's just part of your routine. You've set that on autopilot, and you just turn up each Sunday because you realise this world is passing away, and the day you're living for is the day that is going to come when the Lord Jesus arrives, and church each week is a great reminder of that. And so you're here, again, out of discipline, and let me say that's a wonderful thing. You may have come just because you want to grow in your faith. That's also a great thing to do. We hope that as people come here, they grow in their faith. You could say, I've come here to worship God. Amen to that. You may be here because you're seeking God, and you've just wandered in. Now, Vera, who is here today, she literally just wandered in, I understand, at the Jazz Festival uh, just in October last year. And today is a very exciting day for Vero as we baptise her into the name and the life and the death and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so if you just wandered in here today, we are really glad you're here. What we're on about is Jesus. And we're not just on about him, we actually believe he is the one who has the answers to life. We believe he is the one who gives life to those who will come to him in faith and repentance. And he is the one who can change and transform your life absolutely. That's why we're here. And we come to a passage that reminds us that people come to see Jesus. That's why we're here today. Because we absolutely believe that he is the one who can change our lives. For those who are new, for those who are tired for those who are mature, for those who are growing, for those who are struggling, for whatever reason we have, Jesus, in very simple terms, is the answer. He strengthens the tired. He helps the weak. He gives great wisdom to the wisdom, to those who are mature and growing. We are here because we believe he is the one who is the answer to life. And my prayer today has been that we may see Jesus clearly. And we come to this passage which may surprise you. It surprised me. There is so much in here. There are texts that you can, if I can say, establish doctrines from. They're called proof texts. There are texts here to memorize for your own personal discipleship and walk with God. It covers issues of mission. It covers issues of the atonement. It covers issues of spiritual warfare. I can go on and on. And what I want to do today is not have three different points, I just have one point, I want you to see Jesus and I've got seven different things about Jesus from this passage that I want you to see and be encouraged by. The first is this, as we come to the passage, um, Jesus is the predicted one and this passage is sometimes spoken on the Sunday before Easter and that's one of the reasons why I wasn't as excited as normal, I spoke on the equivalent passage in Luke's Gospel about two years ago And it's often read because it's the story in the beginning of Jesus entering into Jerusalem the week before he dies. Let me pick up the reading from page 
1078. If you've got your Bibles, keep them open. This is verse 12, chapter 12. The very next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, as it is written, Do not be afraid, daughter Zion, see your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realise that the things that had been written about him and these things had been done to him. In the first few verses what we see is that Jesus deliberately, intentionally, you could say provocatively, rides an unridden ass or donkey into the city of Jerusalem. And I say it's deliberate, I say it's intentional, I say it's provocative because in Jesus' mind, he is fulfilling in his own person, intentionally, the words of the prophet Zechariah that said, this is how the King of Israel will come into the city of God, Jerusalem. And with a sense of provoking the religious leaders of the day, He announces his arrival in Jerusalem, the king has come. And as commentators have often said, he doesn't come riding on a mighty steed like a great warrior. He comes on an animal of peace. Though he knows what will bring peace will cost him his life. And if you wonder whether Jesus really is who he says he is, the Son of God, the Son of Man, the king. One of the ways you can do that is just look at the list of prophecies that he fulfills. This is just one of over 50. Now, I read a number of articles on fulfilled prophecies from the Old Testament. Some say there's 50. I read one that said there's 55. Another said 100. I thought maybe they're waxing a little bit lyrical, but anyway, there are just dozens of them that relate to his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, and his ongoing ministry. Now, the only way mathematically that is possible because to have one person fulfill 55 independent prophecies that are written over hundreds of years apart by dozens of different writers, the mathematical equation for this is just impossible. Unless, of course, the one who fulfills them is the one who is the Word of God who originated them. And he now comes and fulfills them. He is the predicted one. And it's incredible. But that's the first thing you see. The second is that he is the one who is the followed one. We read on verse 17. And John records that more and more people came to follow Jesus. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. But of course they would. Imagine seeing someone dead four days and come out of the tomb that you placed him in. Well, the buzz is around town and many people, because they had heard that he performed this sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, see, this is getting us nowhere. (laughs) And it's quite comical at one level. Look how the whole world has gone after him. And you can just see they're just weeping in their cups of tea. Everything we're doing is useless. (laughs) He's gone and done it again. Raised Lazarus from the dead. Now, you can't deny it because everyone knew it. And I love that phrase, see? The whole world is now going after him. 
Now, there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. Jesus is the predicted one, but he's also the followed one. The second remarkable thing about Jesus is this reality. He is followed by people all across the world. And the turning up of the Greeks at this point in John's Gospel is the turning point of the Gospel. He says in the next verse, the hour has come. Because his mission was for the world. And the world has now arrived in Jerusalem in the person of the Greeks, symbolic of this reality, that he is the world's saviour. And I want to give you an illustration of how significant this is. And I mentioned it last year, but it's worth repeating. It was in the holidays, and I don't know if everyone actually got to hear this great truth. The defining feature of Christianity is the way that it is inclusive of people from all backgrounds. Unlike every other world religion that says, become like us, if you want to be part of our religion, Jesus says, come as you are, and I'll transform you. In Jesus' day, the crowds followed him. After he rose from the dead, a movement began that now touches every edge of the globe. Now, to illustrate this, think with me about the world religions. Most world religions have most of their followers close to where the religion began. So with Islam, that is in the Middle East, and Asia. It's called the, by missiologists, the 40-20 window. It's the band of latitude across which the 40-20 window goes in the world. It's Middle East, it's Asia. With Buddhism, it's Southeast Asia. With Hinduism, it's India. And why is this? Because, you see, inevitably, the religion and the culture cannot be separated. To be Islamic is to have a certain culture. It's the same with Hinduism, it's the same with Buddhism. Christianity, however, transcends culture. The gospel speaks into that culture and changes that culture as it changes people where they are. There is no particular Christian culture, but rather there are followers of the Lord Jesus who demonstrate what it means to be a Christian within that specific culture. And scholar Richard Borkham in his book, Bible and Mission, points this out. He said, 90, and this is the research, 90% of all Muslims live in one part of the world, the Middle East, North Africa, South Asia, the 40-20 window. 88% of Buddhists live in East Asia. 98% of Hindus live in India. But with the Christian faith, the stats, if I can say, are so contrasting. 25% of Christians live in Europe, 25% live in Central or Southern Afri- America, 22% live in Africa, 15% in Asia, and 15% in North America. It's astounding. You see, what happens is Jesus comes and he is the saviour of the world and he is the only saviour of the world and the world is following him. And I love this quote from Richard Borkham. He says, Christianity is the only major religion that is spread out. Almost certainly Christianity exhibits greater cultural diversity than any other religion. Jesus is the followed one from all over the globe. But the third thing is this. He's the glorious one. We read on. Verse 22, They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip, in turn, told Jesus. Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And with the arrival of the Greeks, the hour has come. The time for his death, his glorification, is about to take place. 
It is the turning point of John's gospel right here as the world comes. And I want you to stop and just think about this, that Jesus is the glorious one. And his glory is seen at the cross. It is the centerpiece of what he does. This event that is so gruesome and so awful in so many ways is actually where you see his glory as he goes as the innocent son of God who threw the stars into space, the creator crucified at the hands of the creation. Now, if you go back 100 or 200 years, they would describe my job as being the one who has the cure of souls. It's a lovely phrase. It's from the medical world. And it's reflecting on the fact that I am a physician of the soul. And my job, the pastoral staff's role, is to help people's souls be spiritually healthy under God. And one of the questions I ask myself in performing my ministry amongst, if I can say, us, you, is what is the health of their soul? Are they genuinely converted? Does this person truly know the Lord Jesus Christ? Have they actually repented and genuinely believed the gospel and put their trust in Christ? Now, how do you tell that? What is such a personal issue in so many ways? Well, there are a number of signs or evidences of true conversion. The old reformers spoke of the fact that we are justified under God by faith alone, but justifying faith is never alone. In other words, when a person truly comes to faith in Christ, their life is going to be changed. And so you'll see a transformation in what takes place. Where there's no actual transformation in a person, you have to ask, actually, have they been converted and born again? But another sign is what they marvel at. And one of the things I listen to is, how do they refer to the Lord Jesus Christ and what he's done for them? And do they see the glory of the cross and the wonder of it? And do they marvel at it? You see, true conversion leads someone to glory in Christ and his death for them, not in a sense of voyeuristic, but in wonder at the grace that flows from the cross towards us that we take hold of and that we're transformed by. Jesus is the predicted one. He is the one followed all around the world. He is the glorious one. And I love this phrase that Paul uses at the end of Ephesians. It's one of my favourite verses. It's very unknown amongst many Bible readers. I don't know if you're familiar with it. What's the last verse in the book of Ephesians? Who knows it? Probably none of you. And that's all right. I'm not trying to embarrass you. But pick your Bibles up when you go home and read the last verse in Ephesians. I'll read it to you. I'll read the last two. It says, Peace to the brothers and sisters, love with faith from God the Father and Lord Jesus Christ, grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. There is a strength and a beauty to what Paul is saying. Who are the genuinely converted people? They are the people who are the brothers and sisters in Christ who love him with this undying love because they see his glory. Now, 
He's not just the glorious one, he's also the crucified one. And having said that he's going to be glorified, he speaks now of his death. Verse 24, very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed, but if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant will also be. My father will honour the one who serves me. But now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No. It was for this very reason I came to this hour. Now, now there's no doubt he gets overwhelmed in greater ways as he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, literally the night before his death. But there was a resoluteness. There was a determination. There was an absolute surety that what he had come to do needed to be fulfilled. And he uses this very simple agricultural metaphor of a kernel of wheat falling to the ground and dying to speak of what he will do, that he literally will fall to the ground and die. It remains only a single seed, but if it dies, it produces many seeds. And you see the wonder of what Jesus' death accomplishes. It provides salvation for the world. And at the heart of Jesus' ministry and mission was his death on the cross. He knew it would be dreadful. It's why his soul was troubled. But what's he say? Save me from this hour. No. This is the very reason I came. Friends, wonder at the one who is glorious. And he's so amazing in his death on the cross. He is the son of God. There is no reason he had to do this. But out of his love for us, he gave himself to us. And I love that verse 26, which is such a wonderful verse of application on this very point for discipleship. It's a verse worth memorizing. I've memorized it. Whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, my servant also will be. And here is the promise of God, my Father will honour the one who serves me. And though you may lose your life, and you do lose your life when you come to Christ, you find life. And the promise of God is, the Father will honour you. Now, isn't that a wonderful belief and statement? That when you follow Jesus and walk in his footsteps that went to the cross... And honour him, the Father will honour you. Hold on to that. But that's not all. I feel like a steak knife salesman here. Um, There's another thing. And, And here is where we're on, if I can say, holy ground. And I want you to stop and think about this. There is no doubt Jesus is glorious. And his glory is deserved. He is the Son of God. But listen to what he says. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven, I have glorified it, and I'll glorify it again. This is the Father speaking. The crowd that was there and heard it said, it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Jesus said, actually, this voice was for your benefit. He's speaking to the people, not mine. And so God the Father is speaking to the people saying, I have glorified my name and I'm going to glorify it again. And what is happening here is that the one who is glorious 
and whose glory will be seen at the cross is actually saying, I want to give that glory to my Father. Glorify your name. And what you see here is profound in the sense of the other person-centeredness of Jesus. And his mission was not just to bring salvation, ultimately it was to bring glory to the Father. And at the cross, we see the wonder of God, who is glorified by his Son. And you see the very heart of who God the Father is. His incredible righteousness that he will stand and judge sin absolutely. It is wrong, is an offence, and it must be dealt with. But you see this incredible graciousness and compassion that is at the very heart of who the Father is. As he gives the rebellious world his son to become sin who knew no sin on the cross. Never question the goodness of God, though we may be tempted to for a whole range of reasons. At the heart of God, there is this righteousness and there's this incredible grace and compassion and love that you discover at the cross. And Jesus came not just to save us, but ultimately to glorify God's name. You see, at the centre of the universe is not us. It is God and his glory. And that should lead us to walking humbly before him in life. And this truth was illustrated to me very powerfully by my former boss at the church I served at for 14 years. His name was Rod Irvine. And Rod was a whole range of things. He was a maverick. He was awkward, relationally, incredible introvert. He was uh, a risk taker, incredibly smart. He had six degrees I worked out, including a PhD earned in physics when he was converted. MBA, he just took on the sidelines while he was senior minister to learn how to do some management. And he served for 21 years down at Fig Tree and under his leadership, the church doubled or tripled in his time. Buildings were built, incredible fruit from the ministry. And as he approached the end of his ministry, I never forget, I was the 2IC, he said to me, Bruce, when I finish, I don't want a big hurrah. I just want to preach on Sunday my final sermon to the people. I'll come in on Monday, I'll get my affairs in order and I'll pick up my briefcase and walk out the door at five. Just content to know that hopefully I've done a good job serving the Father. May all glory go to him. And it was the complete antithesis of, if I can say, the spirit of our age, where we want to put ourselves in the centre. And he was telling me not, as if I can say, a reflection, it was an instruction to me as the two I see. Let me say, the wards and the parish council had other ideas and they did celebrate his leaving, which was a right thing to do. But what you saw was the heart of a servant who just wanted to bring glory to God and said, this is not about me. And you see, that's the reality that you discover when you understand the cross. We are not at the centre. Jesus is at the centre and what you see is him as the Son of God bring glory to his Father. But there's more. 
He doesn't just give glory to the Father, he is the victorious one. And Jesus goes on to record this great statement, it's worth memorising. Now is the time of judgment on the world, now the prince of this world will be driven out. And I, when I'm lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. It is a proof text for a number of doctrines. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die, in other words, crucifixion. And in that statement, now is the time of judgment for this world, and now the prince of this world will be driven out. He's saying two profound things. He is saying there is victory over sin, and there is victory over the devil. Judgment is about to take place, and that judgment would be in his body. He would bear it. And he would have victory over sin, but he would also have victory over the devil. And we must take hold of this as we look to Jesus. We are looking at the one who is glorious, who is crucified and victorious. And it's all through his death on the cross. In my time away, I was um, able to go overseas, which we don't normally do for our holidays. And we were very grateful to be able to go and stay at Bali through some generosity. And we had a wonderful time over there in Bali. I'd never been before and uh, the water's very warm, the food was delicious, it was very peaceful and relaxing. We did think of you, pray for you. But there was one thing that stirred my soul and distressed me greatly. Uh, Unlike the rest of Indonesia, which is Muslim, it's a Hindu island. And everywhere you go, you will see these. They're Balinese offerings to the gods. You trip over them, you walk on them accidentally and you're trying to be respectful. Uh, The great irony is by the afternoon, the dogs, which there are many, are eating them. And you cannot escape what I would call a dedication driven by fear. There is no sense of certainty, but rather just a fear of seeking to appease the gods. Now, the particular time we went was Balinese New Year. It fell in the middle of our holiday. It's called Nyepi. And Nyepi is celebrated over a number of days. The day before, they have this incredible festival where for a number of months, the different villages all build this great statue of kind of a demonic figure. And they bring them all into the local village area and here's one of them and you can if you have a look closely you'll see that there are heads or skulls as a necklace around the figurine here and it's enormous Um, you can see the people just bottom right carrying it and there's an incredible dedication going into this and what happens is they parade them around their area and it's all designed to if I can say they've got their kind of demigod who scares the evil spirits away they're meant to burn them that night though they don't always And the next day, everyone must go into their houses, turn the lights off, not eat and not talk. It's a day of silence. Now, the Balinese streets are normally crazy with scooters everywhere. This is what it's like on Nyepi Day. Now, the Balinese people are beautiful people. They are really lovely, most lovely people to meet and engage with. The one time I felt this sense of seriousness and edge to them was about this day. And all of them said to me, you must go inside. You cannot go on the streets. And they even have police on the street to arrest people if they're out. And the reason you've got to go inside is because of this fear that the spirits they've supposedly driven off the island will hear them and come back in. 
And so it's a day of silence so that they can try and trick the spirits that there's no one here anymore. And they'll be free from them for the next year. Now let me say the evil spirits are real. And they do harass and the Balinese people are enchained by them. And it was very distressing. I wanted to talk to them about Jesus, the one who has conquered evil. But my language Indonesian skills are zero and their English typically was the same. And what this verse says here is that actually there is one who has come into the world who has conquered evil and conquered Satan and has driven him out. And he will never return to us when we have the Spirit of God inside of us. We are free and we are forgiven. And he is victorious. And lastly, Jesus is the light of the world. And let me finish on this note. The crowd spoke up. We've heard from the law that the Messiah will remain forever. So how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is the Son of Man? Then Jesus told them, you're going to have light just a little while longer. Walk while you have the light before darkness overtakes you. Whoever walks in the dark does not know where they're going. Believe in the light while you have the light so that you may become children of the light. Friends, I don't know why you turned up at church today, but let me just say what I wanted you to do was see Jesus. And he is the one who we worship. He is the one who we follow. He is the one who we trust. He is the one that we are confident in. He is the one whom we serve and give our life to. Why? Because when we see Jesus, we see the one who was predicted from years before and fulfilled all the prophecies. We see the one who is followed all around the world. We see the one who is glorious who is amazing, who was crucified. We see the one who helps us understand that at the centre of life is God himself as he glorifies his Father, and we see the one who is victorious. And when you see this one, you walk in the light because he is light, and he brings light and life to our lives. And friends, the response I wanted you to come to at the end of hearing this sermon was that you would want to worship him and give your life to him with confidence, with joy, with trust, with everything. Friends, do you see Jesus? He is our light. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for the gift of your Son who is so incredible. And we thank you for who he is. Help us every day to see his glory, his victory, his death, his resurrection. See that he is the one who is worshipped as the saviour of the world, predicted from ages of old, revealed in our own time. And Father, we just thank you. May we see Jesus and worship him with our whole life. In his name we pray. Amen.